Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Phil Tiger. Ladies and gentlemen of the Slacker Brigade, welcome to another award-winning podcast here on the Slacker Network. I can't keep that up, it uses too much breath. Hello Slackers, hope you're good. It is Phil Taggart, Uh, this is my podcast, it's the Slacker Podcast. It is a podcast all about music. It is all about incredible artists, and by God we've had them. Um, over the last couple of years and it starts off with their demo so you know anybody who's listened to this loads of times feel free to like skip forward like 30 40 seconds because you know exactly what this podcast is all about grabbing that early demo picking it apart for five ten minutes at the start and then just having a really insightful interesting conversation with them trying to ask the questions to artists that they don't normally ask or should I get asked do you know what I'm saying um this podcast today is with Kurt Vile and we'll get to that in just a second because mad love um to the Patreons who are supporting the podcast who are um keeping keeping the lights on at Slacker HQ by which I mean the the cabin out the back of my house this cabin has been an absolute godsend um over lockdown there was kind of like nothing in it beforehand and I've now stuck a, a PC into it, some recording equipment and I'm getting the best out of it. This, this, um, there's been silver linings uh, for being locked down and the fact that we have been means that I've been recording loads of podcasts. I, I've got some really incredible um, records coming up. I just did um, Matt Berninger from the, the National last week. I have podcasts coming up from Bicep uh from tim burgess and maybe one or two other ones i can't see them in my diary just at the minute but i'm trying not to record as many as i have been because at the minute <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be like completely up to like 2022 um but i yeah back to the patreons patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast if you want to um 
join the slacker community if you want to contribute to your your favorite content and and keep it going um then much obliged you've heard the spiel a million times before but uh yeah i it genuinely is like every time somebody new joins the patreon i'm like yes this is great this is people showing that my podcast has some sort of value outside of just listening to it for free so i really respect that we've got anna gandal anna gandolfo god that was a struggle um who's uh, just joined um james taylor who's just joined whether that's the artist or or singer i don't know um and um paul easton um big up to those guys and thank you to them for being patreons of the slacker podcast today the podcast that everybody is getting patreon or not is kurt vile um somebody whose whose music i've loved over the years uh he was a very early member of the war on drugs but like only for a little bit he as a solo artist has recorded some of the best records that that i that i've ever listened to like honestly like like his last record bottle it in was pretty good um and me and my missus were like absolutely obsessed with waking on a pretty day so here it is slacker podcast with kurt vile in three Two, one. Um, who's that in the the background? Is that Charles? Who's who's that? That's uh, Charlie Pride. Charlie Pride, the, um, the greatest uh, country singer there ever was. Well, actually, he still is. He's still amazing. But he, yeah, uh, Cowboy Jack Clement or Clement um, discovered him and produced him. And I do a cover of Cowboy Jack Clement on the new record, uh, which is called Gone Girl on the EP. You know, like I, I, I was going to, I was going to get to like the, the Cowboy Jack bits later on, but listen, while we're here, like I, I, I was, I was reading all about it today. Um, and I'm so fascinated by, by Cowboy Jack, um, uh, Fergie, uh, the relationship that you had with them, the the whole Jacksonville, uh, sorry, the whole, um, uh, God, my, my mind's uh, absolutely Nashville. Nashville, sorry, um, spot the Irish dude, right? Um, and <laughs> <laughs> could you could you tell us a little bit about Cowboy Jack? Well, I I never met him personally, uh, but um, because he passed away a little bit after I got to Fergie who produced that record this album and um, who was Cowboy Jack's engineer for a long time. Uh, there's a, an amazing movie. This will tell you all a lot you need to know about uh, Cowboy Jack, but he's got a movie sort of doc combined with movie, a lot of footage. He was making a movie his whole life and it somewhat culminated into this documentary called, uh, Shakespeare was a big George Jones fan and you just see everybody in uh, his corner all the people he influenced um, <clears throat> or produced and played music with everybody from Waylon to George Jones to John Prine to Charlie Pride to Johnny Cash um, you know uh, and others so many others and uh, the songs that he's written that you didn't realize but yeah it's, Jerry Lee Lewis is one of my favorites uh, you know, he's a maniac. He's the killer. He, he, uh, he's the one like, uh, 
Jerry Lee Lewis, when he went to Sun Records in search for a record deal, uh, Sam Phillips wasn't there. It was uh, Cowboy Jack Clement. And yeah, so he was like the guidance, the, the early guidance with uh, Jerry Lee and engineering a lot of his records and things like that. That's, you know, I could jump around all, but he's got this solo record that I, that Matt Sweeney turned me on to. Matt Sweeney, um, he's the one who knew Ferg. And this, this record, uh, I'm spacing on the album title right now just to look like a total poser, but it's got the song Gone Girl on it. Mm. And it's just, it's just so good. It's out of print right now still. But um, I, I don't know. He's just got so many. He's just influenced so many people and had such a great production sound as well on the Stoneman family and these Charlie Pride records. And uh, he produced and engineered Dreaming, uh, My Dreams, the Waylon record that I love so much. Yeah. Actually, I love all Waylon's records, but so like it was a case of like this is somebody that you would would love to have worked with, but like you ended up getting put put in touch with his like protege, the person he, um, he, he brought up, um, Fergie, and then that's where you sort uh, of took it from. There. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that exactly. Uh, just any uh, Fergie was, you know, he he owned the butcher shop with John Prine, which sometimes I knew and sometimes I forgot, but I just knew. Matt Sweeney told me the guy to know is Ferg. And, you know, he's the one still, he's just like the real, the real heart of like the, the Nashville country. I mean, somewhat outlaw, the whole outlaw thing in a way, um, you know, he's sort of the roots of uh country. I don't know. Also like, I mean, that, that the name of the, the, the recording studio that you do all that too. Like, I mean, it's, I think it's closed down now, but it's moved out of town. The butcher shop, like yeah, the butcher shop. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you're gonna cut a record and you're like talking to like somebody who maybe doesn't know the backstory to this, you're like, oh, I'm going for like two weeks to the butcher shop with your guitar on your back. <laughs> well, that's sort of the beauty too is, uh, with those guys, you know, you don't do anything for two weeks. You go in for two days and you get just as much. Uh, you get like a solid live recordings, overdub if you need to. But all those, all my parts are live with the band. Just um playing guitar and singing and because that's what um, you get isn't it like when you go in there like it's a full band scenario like you, you got these like gritty old players that have played with everybody yeah. they're ready to go like do you have to rehearse your song that that much with them or like how intuitive is the whole process no i think they just watch you run it down and i keep it relatively simple but i would say my the last song on the ep called pearls it's an older song of mine it's got a lot of time signature changes and it took people took some it blew some minds more than others but we got it down still in a couple takes you know um yeah so that's beautiful but yeah it's called the butcher shop because it's it's in an old basically like a packing plant you know you know like a butcher shop uh it's it's in an old warehouse where i guess they used to pack the meat you know yeah i i think do, do, is there stories of it being haunted by uh old, old, <laughs> not that old, old i know chickens of. old guys <laughs> yeah um like there's there's a certain like magic of nashville that i hear people talking about all the time i mean i don't know absolutely fuck all about the the, the magic of nashville because i've never been there um but like right. what what's it like with some for somebody like you who who grew up around that uh, like with that music sort of like it 
osmo- like through osmosis. Do you know what I mean? Like, what was it like going into Nashville and recording there and living there for a bit? Well, I literally, I think that for me, I literally just record with the right guys, like the, you know, people who, like, Ferg had been recording with uh, Cowboy Jack and others, you know, back with Towns Van Zant and things like, uh, like there in this in this movie, Shakespeare was a George Jones band fan. Uh, there's a scene of Johnny Cash having a smoke laying on AP Carter's grave, you know, who was, um, you know, of the Carter family, you know, he married June Carter. He's like, I never had it. Got a, I never got a chance to have a smoke with AP Carter. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get to know him that well. So he's like laying on his grave, having a smoke. And I'm like, when I went into work with Ferg on the phone, I was like, man, I love that movie. I love that part where uh, Johnny Cash is smoking a cigarette on AP Carter's grave. He's like, Oh, he's like, Oh yeah, Kurt, I filmed that Kurt. We're gonna have a good time, Kurt. So, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like the first song I wanted to record for the record before I went there was uh, the title track or the pseudo title track, the John Prine song, Speed of the Sound of Loneliness. And I was like, uh, you cool with that? You know that song? He's like, oh, inside and out, Kurt. John's, John's a good friend of mine. We're, we're gonna have a good time, Kurt. So <laughs> that's what I was going for. I was going for. Because there's all all kinds of facets of Nashville, and there always has been. Um, I respect them all, but I think uh, to try to get to the sort of gritty roots uh, is probably a little tougher now because everybody's younger and there's uh, I don't know, but I I found it, found it. So does does it does it like mean that people like you have to like um, keep that like like people if you endure like sort of ilk that like uh, respect that so much have to keep that legacy going i guess because like those old guys aren't getting any younger um so like you know that that sort of style of not even just music but like that sort of mentality around music like like, is it important to keep that sort of tradition up yeah i think it is uh for the people that if if somebody is feeling it you know uh, which i am i think it's important to keep that going and i think there's always going to be people it's a crazy digital world and that's just what it is. I I mean, I like certain pop music, uh, being that more than ever, I feel like now that I got young daughters and, but yeah, I do pride myself on, uh, I've been sort of doing recording live, keeping it live as much as possible. Definitely influenced by, I've always been influenced by people like Neil Young and Bob Dylan, who are all about being as lot playing as live as possible and as raw as possible. But then there's a whole other level when you get into the old country dudes or, uh, and I don't know, just various books I read and people I listen to. I somewhere along the way, several years ago at this point, but I was, I just sort of knew I, I, I want to just make it as raw and as live as possible. And, and you'd surprise how not raw it comes off a lot of times because everybody's glued together because they played live and, uh, pro tools and things like that can really, it's it's a constant battle like with the pro tools and and all the options and the computer to not get bogged down and uh just ba- basically get lazy and loop things together and you know so yeah i'm guessing um, i'm guessing you're not playing to a click track anytime soon like i mean i'll do everything but uh i've never liked the sound of like a computer click track like punching me in the skull so, <laughs> it's killer I isn't it drum machine. Beep, boop, 
yeah beep, boop, yeah i don't somebody did that to me once i was like no but uh you know there's all kinds of analog drum machines or even uh you know cool apps play drum machine whatever you know there's all kinds of ways yeah. to get a beat pulse going you, if you don't have any instruments in the room you mentioned Dylan. i mean instrumentalists i meant <laughs> you, you millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mentioned Dylan there and like I, I think he dropped like his latest album as if Dylan drops an album, like as if Dylan has, and ever, he did, has, has ever said the words himself, I'm dropping my new album. Um, but like, yeah, he did. He put out a, a new record, like what, at the age of 78 or um, or thereabouts. And fucking hell, it was a really good record. Like you just don't expect somebody of that age still to be able to continue that quality. Like, I mean, if you look at like the Stones, like, or even U2 or somebody like that, like they haven't delivered in a long, long time, but like Dylan still does. Yeah, well, Dylan, he's always he's he's uh, he listens to all those same raw people. He always talks about keeping it raw, like the old blues guys. And I happened to see a couple shows at the Beacon Theater in New York, and and one in Philly. And I, like, I got inside scoop that they were making a record. They had just gotten like a new drummer. The I think the rest of the guys have been in the band for a long, a good amount of time, but the. The, the alchemy and chemistry on stage was undeniable. And, and uh, then I heard through the grapevine that they were making a record and I heard they made it fast. You know, know if that's a legend or not, but the, I'd imagine they did. And uh, But uh, for me, that record was exciting also because I got really obsessed with Tempest not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a similar record. Songs like Roll On John are about john lennon and there's all these beatles references in there you don't even get it at first and i I don't know if uh, this is definitely like an answer to that record but you know the writing is so strong as usual and i don't know yeah it's a beautiful record i was he's the he's the only artist that has released so much so many albums that you can compartmentalize them into different families like you could have like three or four different dylan albums that live in the one house (laughs) totally (laughs) like there's actually probably a full street of them um if if Dylan turned around or like Neil Young or one of the sort of uh, the the Holy Trinity um, turned around to you and was like, 
come play guitar with us on the road would you drop uh, yeah would, would you drop everything of your own to go and do it yeah i mean of course <laughs> i mean i i'd at least do it for a little while and uh, yeah it'd be amazing uh um, i mean all, if all of a sudden i i was like i gotta get my own shit done i don't do that <laughs> but <laughs> I, of course i would that is uh yeah that, i mean i'm gonna put that up there with the stupidest question that i'm gonna ask no there. i love i i no, love that question no but listen, um, listen it's not every you know not i wouldn't do that for everyone you know? no big time but i wouldn't do it for the stones even though i love them I'd be like uh i don't know I, I i i i don't think that the stones play their instruments live like i think that like i don't know this is maybe conspiracy theory shit right <laughs> but like i just get the vibe that there's somebody behind a curtain there that's like playing along and they're just sort of like marionetted out there like doing uh, their thing uh, no i think they're really playing <laughs> uh they're, they're pretty uh no, they're definitely playing. I'm a huge Stones fan. I'm I actually, you know, I would, I would tour with them for a minute at least. Yeah, <laughs> just to see what happens. Exactly. I want to want to see sort of like pull back the curtain and see what see what happens back there. Um, you said uh, you said you're like your daughters are into pop music and that that's probably opened your ears up to like music you probably most definitely wouldn't have been listening to anyway. Like like what 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 has been shocking you and like what has been sort of making you pass I, remark? I have actually always liked pop music. Um. You know, when I was younger, it was hit me then or like there was all kinds of cool pop from when I was a teenager, like or preteen, like you could say rock set was pop, but it was it had a rock in there. And but for for a while, I've been into I think Miley Cyrus just gets more better and better all the time. I, I turn my daughters on to Miley Cyrus, actually. But uh, I recently I, I recently got into cert, uh, Kesha a lot and uh I mean, I, I always heard her in the background, but I, for, I was listening to her for various reasons and my daughters got super obsessed. So we've been listening to a lot of that. And another one that is in pop music now, but she's obviously comes from another place is uh, Casey Musgraves. Mm. You know, she's in the pop charts, et cetera. She's a total pop star. She's just a star in general, but she's so musical. Obviously she comes out of country that I got, I feel like various things that, were extra popular which i didn't i would always see their names but not pay total attention to on a sliding scale of those people that i told you about but i don't know they're, they're all they're three of kind of my favorites right now do um you, like do you others do your like kids talk to you on a sort of musical level about them or like do you try and like sort of talk to them about going well this is good because of this or that or whatever oh, no, and their daughters are just like shut up dad <laughs> they they know they're all they're totally musical my my youngest daughter is crazy musical. They, they they both are musical. They both have play harp. My friend Mary Lattimore from Philadelphia, where I live, she doesn't live here anymore, but she she got the girls interested in the harps, like a giant harp. She plays on Mary plays on several of my records. But the uh, when they were young, they got a little harp and they would take lessons. And then uh, so they both play the harp. But my youngest, she's a lot like me. She'll just go up to anything and play it. And she'll play all the instruments in the house before I have even gotten up. I can hear her going from the piano to the organ to my guitars to now she's picked up drums. So, uh, And my older daughter is a, really super into music as well. But she's she's always listening closely to the lyrics. And she's a big she's big in the pop. Uh, she, she loves Adele. Uh Things like that. I don't know. Yeah, but no, they're very uh, 
they're homeschooled. They just have like a home education where the, if they're into something, they just get into it. They don't have somebody sort of telling them what and what to not learn. And I feel like music is almost just school. It's it's like a pure pure emotion. Also, it's mm. just we all love to listen to music, but it, it's a, another form of education, really. It's just it's super 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 healthy thing to be obsessed with, like as as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. they, you, your first like instrument was, wasn't the one you wanted, was it like you, you, you got a banjo instead of a guitar? Yeah. Well, that was my first string instrument. Yeah. I think I, I've told this story multiple, a lot of times, but it's still a good story is that like the year before uh, they were going to give me a guitar, but I didn't know that, but I was wanting a guitar, but I was really bad that year. Or so they said, so they didn't give me anything, but they were like, we were going to get you a guitar, but you've been the worst this year. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> it's probably, it's blown, you know, I'm having fun with it. But uh, yeah, then the next year I got a banjo. My dad's a super bluegrass freak and old time music. So it's in my DNA, all the, you know, so it's cool to be playing with some of these sort of country legends now that I at least knew the people that I grew up listening to, like Hank Williams. Yeah. Uh, somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew Hank Williams in, in, in my world, you know, or or uh, Johnny Cash, et cetera. That's the kind of stuff I grew up hearing from my dad. What's your what's your chops like on, on the banjo now? Like, are you like are you still, have you kept up with it? Are you still good? Because it, it is definitely one of those instruments you have to stay on top of, right? Uh, well, I've been playing guitar and finger picking and things like that for so long. I have a very sort of, it's sort of like an Appalachian, my own sort of style of some hybrid of an Appalachian style on the banjo. It's finger picking. It stays with you kind of forever. I mean, I I get a little rusty for a second, but that's not the kind of music I play. It can, it can be rusty, but I'm not going to like forget how to play. Yeah. So no, it's, it's easy. When, when you like, um, when you play with like um, legends like that, you you tend to get like a they, they'll know you for a certain thing. Like if you're like really good at finger picking, if you're really good at like lap steel, if you're like really good at that. Like when when you were coming out of those like um, Nashville sessions, what do you think other than your singing and songs? Like what did they have you down as? Did they have you down as a certain style or a certain way of player? I mean, they were all so awesome. I I really don't think they're all so laid back too. They're not like too they're definitely not posh about anything. They're raw, raw and hilarious dudes. And I think there's, it's pretty cool. Cause uh, I think it's just, there's five songs. Four of them are finger picked, I believe. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. finger pickers. And then the other one is a strummer. Um, and uh, yeah, the singing, uh, Pat McLaughlin, who was the only person who was on all five songs blew my mind and he w- took me in he was super nice he had our kids over to his farmhouse and uh he he complimented my singing i don't think anybody's ever really complimented my singing but i really am proud of my singing on this record but anyway pat mclaughlin he he played with john prine you know up until a little before the end and and he and he's just so soulful um plays the mandolin and, and guitar and backup vocals on certain songs and yeah I, I made so many friends and even the guys that i only knew from the session i feel like we're friends i can't wait to play with them again so so many legends has uh, dave rowe uh 
Dave Rowe, the bass player, and um, Bobby Wood is a legend, and uh, Kenny Malone, the only drummer. He was like 80. He's getting up there. But yeah. He's like the only drummer. He asks you for a set to see the lyrics so he can play along, so he can vibe <laughs> to the lyrics and things like that. I like that. Like that's like that is that is definitely feeling the vibe of the song. There's no necessary need for him to do that, but that's just what sets him well, apart, he, I guess. He would he would disagree with you. <laughs> Listen, those guys know a lot more about what they do than I do. I could just yeah. sit, I could sit back and enjoy it. Like that's that that's all I got for that. What was it like playing with John Prine? Uh it, that was great. I I had played with him a few times on stage and um to finally have him come into the studio was incredible. I knew because th- I think it was three or four and ins- three installments of getting this EP done over a couple years. You know, it'll be, literally just be a couple days, three days max. I would go in with Ferg, and I came back to finish the EP with Ferg, like mix it, I guess, and see John Prine um, on. New Year's Eve at the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, it's the second time I came to Nashville to see like celebratory John Prine gigs. The first time I also revolved around a session and that was when he, he turned 70 and he played two nights at the Ryman. But anyway, this time was New Year's Eve, this past New Year's Eve at the Opry. And uh, I just knew when I got there to, to Ferg, we were mixing, we just had the four songs. I, was, I sort of knew, I was like, well the CP will have you know, a whole lot more weight if we can get John in here to play this song. And, and there was also another level where I was just planning to go there and finish the EP and, and uh, mix it and go see the show. But then I got asked to play with Brian um, at the Opry because my a really good friend of mine, Eileen, she wrote, she works for John's label and, and uh, also John's wife, Fiona, they all took me in and all Prine's bandmates and uh, his family, his son Jody and things, they all, it's all, it's a family affair and they run the label. So I was asked to play with them. And, and I was, at first I was like, man, I just, now I'm nervous. I just wanted to, I just wanted to see the show and finish the EP. But then obviously it made more sense. I was like, and I just told Ferg, I was like, this EP would have some more weight if we get John in here to teach me this song and then we can record it. And then, you know, the CP will mean a lot more and have John on there. We, there's already a John Prine cover, uh, you know. So, yeah, he just came in and acted like it always happens. But really, <laughs> I played with him on stage a few times in my yeah. life, like, which is a country thing to do. And uh, it was always great. I was always nervous. But when he came in, he was like, yeah, you know, I love to sing with you, Kurt, as if we talk all the time or something, as if it's normal. <laughs> Uh, so it was amazing it's like, it's like something out and, uh, of one of those like old um johnny cash specials that you would see that like somebody would come up on stage and they'd be like going you know like like they're literally best friends yeah i love that's why i love country music in general because everybody's so into the music there's no deep down like you could be you could be doing it on the porch like everybody's just loving the music and i feel like uh that's just a soulful thing um you know, it's definitely has Southern roots often uh, or like country, you know, like literal in the country kind of roots. Uh, I like how Chris Christopherson said in the country music doc uh, that just came out recently. He's like, oh, I like country music is sort of like soul. 
I feel like it's sort of like soul music for white people. That's not saying obviously um, anybody can be involved, but there is a soulful thing there. It kind of came from the fields in that way. It's a, I don't know. With um, with country music, like it, unless it's in the family house growing up, it's not necessarily something that teenagers get into by themselves. It's something you either get into like when you're before a teenager or after. Like you can't. Do you, do you see? Do you see what I mean? Like, like what I mean? What were you listening to when you were when you were a teenager? When you were sort of coming of age? Yeah, when I was a teenager, I was listening to. I I feel lucky because there were there was cool weird stuff coming out. I looked. There was definitely some crap too that I look back at that I shouldn't necessarily liked. But there was also this raw kind of cool thing happening, like like the early Beck and and obviously like Dinosaur Junior. And so I was I was I was into the Smashing Pumpkins and things like that, like every, anybody else. I still respect Smashing Pumpkins, but like, uh, I like the things that were like a little more screwed up combined. But anyway, yeah, like, um, sorry, what? Like the stuff from uh, that label, uh, Drag City. Yeah, definitely, all that stuff really, uh, really opened my mind. Uh, and all those people that were making already weird stuff, but it wasn't, it was accessible to me, you know. Um, yeah, like the Palace Brothers Appalachian stuff, and like it was Appalachian, but it was in in a, in your kitchen in a you know mm. in a kitchen. I could just see it being made. Uh, but my dad was still playing. Uh, he would, but yeah. So I would pretend maybe that I didn't like all of my dad's bluegrass all the time, but not, I love it all now. And I I would admit I love stuff then. It was undeniably catchy, but yeah, you, you can't always admit you like it as a teenager. But there were certain things like doc watson he would always play and i he was playing more guitar and i was like oh i like him because he's playing guitar um a little later he started playing the folk anthology and Char charlie Patton and uh bull weevil blues and uh Cal uh mississippi john hurt those things like uh hit me right away yeah so what about the philadelphia scene like what was what was that like um like like did you have bands that you could go watch did it inspire you to to start playing in bands or start well, playing on playing live there was a scene in philadelphia that friends of mine would go to a lot in west philly called stalag a lot of 13 a lot of punk bands would be playing and i was i was loosely had a foot in that scene i would go and play my banjo actually i had a some ridiculous <laughs> up here you know uh or coffee houses and things like that that was one outlet or people would have house shows in my teens and then there were some bars I could play that, you know, I could get in underage, but I would say I didn't tap into any real scene in Philly and where people would come to a bar and actually book me to play or something until my early to mid twenties, you know, uh, there were all kinds of things going on in Philly sort of, but it wasn't until like my late twenties that I put out records. So it, there's a lot of uh, local gigging going on. Like was what 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 were those like early gigs like for you? Were they something that you enjoyed doing? Was it something that you had to be sort of pushed on stage to do? Like, I mean, like you, you don't. Oh, I love that. I always wanted to play on stage. I feel like there were two years where I I moved up to Boston and I I didn't know anybody up there. I knew some people, but I didn't play any gigs up there. I kind of woodshed, and that's where I started recording at home a lot, kind of psychedelic music, and got good at finger picking. But when I came back from Boston it was in 2003 I was 23 and from 2003 
through 2007 or eight. Uh, there are tons of gigs. I was always hustling to get gigs, yeah. um, putting up flyers all over town. And um, I feel like my my mind, I would I would like set a goal. I would never, it's not like I was like, I want to tour the world. I'd be like, oh, I got to get to this club. Okay, now I got to try to get in at this club. Uh, it's like kind of a suburb, almost suburban version of Bob Dylan hustling in the streets of New York, you know, very, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I don't know. But I guess my mid to later 20s, people like Jack Rose and Meg Baird uh, were playing truly authentic folk music, and but they were actually putting out records. And they, well, Meg was on Drag City, actually, so um, with Espers and her solo records. And yeah, so there was a legit stuff coming through uh, after a certain point, even before I when, had records out. When did you and Adam hook up? I mean, uh, that in two thousand and three, or he was one of the first people I met, actually. So was that um, you? You just came back on uh, back off the bus from Boston into Philadelphia, and he's just waiting for you at the at the depot with a bunch of flowers and a guitar. <laughs> uh, uh, no, a uh, a friend of mine, Joe Badia, he got me he got me a a job at the brewery, Philadelphia Brewing Company, where I work. My first job, and it was a, it was his roommate. So he introduced us, and we were both. I was a, obsessed with Dylan like extra obsessed it was i was like reading all these books it was my, my my first deep obsession of dylan i always liked him but then i was super and then i, I saw that he had like the same books and uh, like he had that clinton halen dylan recordings book uh he let me borrow it right away i couldn't believe i could talk all this information with somebody like let it out you know um and he knew everything i was talking about and yeah so he yeah, I, he he joined my band, The Violators, in maybe two thousand four. One of the one of the clubs I was hustling to play all the time was called The Fire, and, and he gave me like a residency. So I I put a band together, and he would he was on bass, and then also the War on Drugs, an early version of the War on Drugs played too. The, I feel like the War on Drugs went through a few incarnations, where once there was sort of like a tr- conventional sort of rock band. <clears throat> And then I, then he went on tour with another band called the Capillaries, and I got deep into my psychedelic home recordings again. And he came back, and and then around 2005, there was this whole other sort of uh, organic thing going with psychedelic music combined that we were woodshedding on in, in his uh, in his house, and uh, took a work a week off of work and we recorded just a bunch of my music which was like songs that made the first matador record like uh the blackberry blackberry yeah. song no this is like the first matador record and then uh overnight religion and then a little after then in 2005 we started booking war on drug shows again and i i joined again and it was this whole other psychedelic thing and i think and that was cool that was I'd say from 2005 to 2008, we were doing, we were in each other's bands. And then after that first War on Drugs record came out in 2008, then I left the band and I managed to hang on to Adam in my, in the Violators until 2011 or so. And <laughs> you're, you still, and was, you still pop up on Slave Ambient though, don't you? Like, cause you, your name is on it. Yeah. That's I, it. I, um, I, that was like, 
I was kind of all in all and relieved that Adam stayed in my band when I, and cause I needed him. I need him. I felt, and, uh, you know, just the fact that when smoke ring for my halo came out, I assumed he was just going to do his own thing, but he was like, he was into that record. He's like, hey, I'm going to I'm around. I'm going to, I'll, I'll tour with this record. Eventually he had to leave. And just from all that, I, I remember I was just like, hey, well, if you want me to play anything on Slave Ambient, let me know. And I, I'm stoked. I love that record, Slave Ambient. Yeah, me too. I think it's my fa- <clears throat> my favorite of theirs. Like, In a way, my, it's mine too. Uh, uh, not there's, They're all great, obviously. Uh, yeah. But there's like, a, I don't want to say favorite, but there's something about that record. Uh, it's very hypnotic and psychedelic and... Um, I, I had that record. I I listened to it like when I moved to London for the first time. So I was like moving to London, had nowhere to live. And I remember like listening to it when I touched down. And then when I have, I've always had this like real fucking weird relationship with that record now that like every time I fly into London, I have to put it on and I have that sort of like goosebumpy feeling or whatever. That's cool. Yeah. And I don't have that with many records. It's not like I have like a record for every s- scenario or whatever. But like, I guess like important parts of your life, like moving to a big town or somebody passing away or something like that, you kind of always remember what was playing. Yeah, it triggers memories. That that's the other thing about music in general. You know, that's that's that that's a pretty. It's like something that can just like give you chills and like trigger memories and take you back transport you back all those things is there know? is there a certain track that like can beam you back to a certain place is there something like s- uh one in man so many so many um so many that's hard to to isolate one right now but i will say my recent this is very recent but my airplane record for the past year or so had been I've actually the newest Springsteen Western stars. You play that in headphones and it's, it's like very, it's like an adult record, but I think it's, it's like, I think it's his, my favorite record of his in years actually. And it's like a more grand style of hypnotic and stuff. But I, I, uh, I love that record. Have you, did you see Springsteen's um, Broadway shows? I saw one. Yeah. I, it's I'd, great. I'd love to have seen it. No, there's there's not a better storyteller in terms of like actually telling stories on stage than not, not just in his music. Like uh, you could say that there are better storytellers out there in music. Like, not that many, but actually from him just sitting down at a microphone and speaking, like I think there's yeah. he he's kind of got it. He's the boss. <laughs> exactly, he's the boss. <laughs> um, there was yeah. Oh yeah, I wanted to talk to you because like. One of the things that like probably didn't really cross your minds too much when you were like jumping you were jumping from doing some like guitar work with war on drugs and and um um Adam was coming in and playing in the violators and then uh, for some reason like years later because both of you become successful and 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 there's like eyes on on both of your records uh, I'm not sure if it's journalists or just like social media or whatever but they kind of tried to turn turns like you not being in each other's bands into like a thing into like you know there'd be an animosity or fear or whatever and that's just simply not true like like that's just, that just never happened it feels like it was just like a sort of constructed thing really yeah i don't even know that's it's so old that's like an old thing to hear at this point i don't yeah but i don't know i don't 
I don't know. Honestly, I feel like we were both members of each other's band, but not even in not even in the way that somebody can make a story about a few like we yeah. were like best friends and we both uh we kind of could uh really lock in with each other and yeah it wasn't like some guns and roses kind of story or something where you could be like <laughs> you know. that's what people are always looking for isn't it yeah um when, when it comes to uh to playing live like you've you've <clears throat> supported some of the greats you've played like all over the world playing your own headline shows like you've kind of done what every musician sets out to to do in terms of like opening for for a huge artist that you respect like well what, what ones like sort of stick out in your head uh well i opened for prime and i sat in on uh, on stage uh with him i've sat in with him multiple times i sat in with him we did speed the sound of loneliness um at the harley strictly bluegrass festival which is my favorite festival in san francisco in golden gate park and i had literally finished the last final note of our like my set with courtney barnett we were there doing that when we put out that record and i like jumped on a golf cart with three bottles of beer and like they zoomed me to the stage and it was like midway through john prine's set and i got on stage and played that song and i spun like a bobblehead on the stage like completely like freaked out but anyway there's some footage of that that's a great performance but yeah as far as opening i opened for neil young with promise of the real um biggest show we've ever played by far uh in quebec mm. um canada and it was like in front of like i forget now eighty thousand people or something uh for some summer fest uh, who else have I opened? I've opened for a lot of my teen heroes, like who have become friends of mine, you know, like Dinosaur Jr. And uh, I've toured with Jay a lot and we've played together in the studio, things like that. And I, I got to sit in on an interview with Jay Maskus when I was just starting out, when I was like maybe about 20. <clears throat> and uh, I was writing for a, a magazine and it was like the first feature. And I was like, can I listen? I just want to hear him speak. <laughs> and, and my friend was doing the interview. And I like, I shit you not, all I remember is like he would take the longest pause between words. So it would be like, so. My guitar pedal. Yeah. <laughs> it go on like that. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it depends what kind of mood he's in, but. I, enjoy, I enjoyed it i thought that was fucking, <laughs> i thought that was ace um yeah. i suppose like flipping the question around really is like um who's the who's ever who's the best opener that you've had on on tour with you or play play before you have you ever had like um, somebody that's like kind of been so good that you've been like oh god this is gonna be fucking well tough. i my manager is awesome in that he'll he'll he knows like when we tour like the he knows about getting a solid bill. So even if I'm in and out of focus, all of a sudden I'll get obsessed with somebody. But more recently, yeah, people like Kate LeBon. She's so amazing live. She's so amazing anyway, but the live show, we toured with her. Uh, who else? Steve Gunn. Or he was uh, an early uh, opener. He's always amazing. Um Man, it's hard to think about 
it's hard to even connect <laughs> those dots. You know why? Because we're all like here in quarantine. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, actually, having a live hard show. Hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. Do you you so, you played um Willie Nelson's picnic? Um, and yeah, I, that was incredible. I was thinking about that. Like, I was like, I wonder how much weed he paid him in. <laughs> yeah, I didn't smoke any. Of that I, my family was with me, and it was a, a, during a time when I. There's a lot of times where I don't smoke weed. And actually, actually smoking it, I could tell I'm sort of allergic. It go, it gets to, I get achy pretty quick. But eating weed when I can handle it just a little bit, I, I just need a tiny bit, and it does take me back to like my teens, where music sounds amazing and things like that. I'll look at around a room and be able to like set things up nice, you know, which I wouldn't do if I wasn't a little stoned, you know. I don't know, but anyway, the 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 Willie thing was amazing. We actually did that co- cover of Roll On John, the song I mentioned. Mm by bob dylan from tempest i did it with promise of the real who's you know that's willie's son um lucas and sometimes uh micah is in the band as well he has his own band but so anyway they backed me up on that song and pretty pimping and that was a surreal moment i didn't meet willie then i met him briefly at at an outlaw fest it was called but only like a handshake but that was before I was a fan of Willie, but I, I've since gotten really deep. I was probably affected, honestly, by being on that ranch. I mean, I know I was. I played that show, and that's when uh, a couple days later, I next thing you know, I'm opening for Pride and Philly and on, playing Sam Stone on stage with him, <laughs> and he's like dedicating a song to my dad. Uh, wow, things like that. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Like, I mean, you're taking like with with that all that happening so fast, you're like ticking too many bucket list boxes. Like, and you know, you need to like, spread them out a little bit. Well, that was a good time for that because I was sort of like making my record and that was, yeah, I I had finished. It was like the second to last time I had thought I was finished mixing my, my record, um, my last full length album, whatever that's called. I forget now. (laughs) Bottle it, bottle it in. And I was that with Rob Schnaff in California mixing songs like the title track, bottle it in, which is one of my favorite songs I've ever done. But, and, uh, um and then we had this grand plan to i would then i would drive to palm springs i met my family there my wife Susanna, my daughter's a wilden delphine and then we drove from palm springs through arizona new mexico to marfa texas down through you know we stopped all these places on the roadway and then drove to willie's ranch played that show um i got really obsessed with terry allen another outsider country legend um yeah i don't know it that was a good time for all that kind of it was combining bucket list with but not too many i wasn't on the road constantly then so it was nice like when you have made as much music as as you have like um like i I don't know how many albums like eight albums is it i think eight and maybe and 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 maybe, uh, uh, EPs and just as many EPs maybe it seems seems like there's more more EPs um it got me thinking is like is there ever a moment where you have music that's just floating around that isn't already on an EP an album or destined to be on I got lots yeah now, I got a lot now because that's kind of what we do we just kind of record 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 and, and uh I've gotten good at Uh, or i should say i know better now like to not to obsessively listen to things until it's time to get back into them and case in point is the cp uh this 
Nashville EP. It's amazing. Like in your head, sometimes you forget that something's good or I thought the people would scratch their head. And I I still think they would had I not waited this long and gotten that prime recording. If it came out any sooner, I feel like people would be scratching their head because it does have a little bit of a twang to it, you know, like Kurt's country record, but listen to it now. I'm prouder than ever. And I think it's just super musical. Um, So yeah, there's all kinds of uh, EPs, et cetera, uh, stuff for the new record. And I'm getting my home studios fine tuned all the time, more all the time. So you gotta, you gotta keep busy. And then in a lull, like we're at right now, you got time to does that make you freak yeah. out about next year like because like obviously they're just going to be so it's like you know the three stooges and they're all running to like get through the door but like the, they all get stuck in the door and they can't get through it at all i feel like that's what it's going to be like with like releasing records and releasing music and touring next year is that every band and every artist is going to be putting stuff out all at the same time well yeah that's true but I don't know. We're we're gonna have to see what happens. Uh, in general, we all got to be safe, and it's 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 pretty disorienting world out there in general. Um, so, I, I it feels really good to be able to put this out and honestly, and not have to do the same old grind of I don't know. I could just put out music for music's sake. Um, it's kind of new. And meanwhile, I'm I'm trying to keep working on music at home, and it's been a long time since I could just be at home. Uh, but you know that is not that's not that's not saying it's it's real sad what's going on in general. Yeah, you know, totally, man. Um, well, listen, like I I can't wait for the rest of the world to to hear this beautiful ep that you're you're putting out because i i got a sneaky listen to it like last week and uh, i really enjoyed it um, thanks so much yeah I, I think people are gonna dig it i mean they always do with your stuff <laughs> like, well you, you, not always uh, not everybody not, every, <laughs> not everybody but most most people well i think this is going to be a, a, a special ep anyway um thank you so much for giving me your time and coming on the the, the podcast and uh, and chatting to me about it and i'm sure uh i'm so i'll say thank you to now to you um on behalf of all of the Card Five fans that are listening and watching this, yeah, thank you so much. I, this is this has been great. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.